looking this fall at the parables, and we're up to um, uh, the parable of the tax collector uh, and the Pharisee, uh, which is uh, a great one uh, for us to look at today, uh, not the least of which because um, there are a lot of Pharisees and a lot of tax collectors in the room. In fact, I would submit to you that you're one or the other, and sometimes you're a little bit of both, right? And so uh, let's, let's see what Jesus has to say about this. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, the text is in the bulletin and also up uh, on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, let's stop right here for a second, okay? So the temptation, this passage is full of so much temptation. And the one temptation is to think, you know, what a jerk. Right? The Pharisee, what a jerk. Don't like him. Thank you, God, that I'm not like the Pharisee. It was kind of missing the point, right, if, if we do that. Jesus, you know, he's so subtle. Yeah. Um, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let me, this text has much to say to us today. Um, but one of the things that is so interesting about this is Jesus is exposing for public view what goes on internally, right? Um, and one of the ways you can know this is happening to you is if you, if you ever had small children in your house, that one of the things that happens is as you train those small children in the confines of your house, that training sooner or later becomes obvious in the world around you. For instance, one of the things we used to say to our kids all the time, it's a good thing, you should say this, say it. If you're not saying it, you need to say this. Children, you shouldn't smoke, it's bad for you. Right? Don't smoke, it's bad for you. We don't smoke, you shouldn't smoke, it's bad for you, right? It's a bad thing. So we... Do, we you know, you never know how you're doing with that until you're out in public and there's a smoker. And the kids are like, did you see that? <laughs> Holy cow! Somebody needs to stop that! That man, does he not know what he's doing? That's terrible! I'm, Dad, go tell him to stop! If you don't, I will! <laughs> right? Wow, we knew that worked. <laughs> We're so good. Such, a, such great training. Um, 
recently, uh, we were going through a bunch of stuff uh, from my mom and dad's house, and one of the things that my daughter came across, she loves going through this stuff, was a, um, the uh, newspaper, the school newspaper from my junior high school. We didn't have middle school. We had junior high, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. The Pitchfork, we were the Blue Devils. And so our newspaper was called The Pitchfork. And uh, there's an editorial in The Pitchfork. This is, a, this is a junior high school editorial about, you know, if the teachers can smoke in their classrooms when they're teaching, how come there's not, you know, how come we can't? And if we can't do it in the classroom, why isn't there a designated place somewhere on campus where we can smoke with the teachers? Because that would build community. And she's... She's like, is this ironic? I'm like, no, sweetie. This is, she's like, what kind of school did you go to? <laughs> yeah, see, it still worked, right? Isn't that funny? Unbelievable. You know, what, what, uh, it's a wonder I made it through junior high school at all. Sorry. So, so we look at that and we think, you know, all of us certainly carry around things that we look around at other people and we think, boy, I am so glad I'm not like that. Right? So as we unpack this, this, this passage today, there, there's a couple of things that we, we have to get at and um, a couple of things that, that is, is so profound, right? Uh, and... I want to tell you, I I, I belabored this a lot at the nine o'clock service, and I'm going to do it again because because this this text, this this parable, loses its sting if we do what the Pharisee did, and that is we divide the world up in between the people that Jesus is against and the people that Jesus is for. And so, and we divide that up based upon what we believe certain behaviors and, in, and indeed certain, certain things that God has told us are good things and are bad things and we divide the world up that way. Jesus is getting at something much more profound and much deeper in this, this text probably uh, than, we're, uh, than we're even aware. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get at the context here. So really what's happening here is these two men, this parable, right, that Jesus is telling, uh, this parable is is about people at church. They're in the temple, they're praying, and probably at this time is the hour every day where there's a sacrifice offered there in the temple, and so they come there to pray, right? So they're there at church, and they're looking around, right? So the the Pharisee is is looking at uh, the other people who uh, are, are at church. Now, you never come to church and you think, especially after a children's sermon, like, wow, those people... Their kids, if I had kids, my kids wouldn't behave like that. And certainly my kids will never behave like that, right? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad my kids aren't like their kids. Thank you, God. I don't even need to go to worship. I've had my spiritual shot for the day right there, right? So, so the, so the issue is here they are, they're in church and, uh, the Pharisee at least is looking around like we all do and evaluating himself, uh, based upon the other people that are in the room with him. Now, now isn't that funny? They're both at the same church, both in the same worship service at the same time, worshiping the same God. Maybe. 
But but at, at least in name, they're worshiping the same God. And what is true is the Pharisee looks around and he says, wow, you know, I, at least I'm not like that guy, right? Okay. So so the question really is, you know, what are they looking at? And we're going to revisit this a little bit later, but but that's quite an issue here, right? Because what we look at or who we look at determines an awful lot about what our ultimate trust is, right? And so the the context here is is something that 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 convicts me right off the bat before we even get to uh the parable itself, right? So it's not he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, right? So so this trust in self leads to treating others with contempt, and that's a bad thing. But what Jesus is doing here is something that is even more profound because notice what he does. It does not say that he told this parable about those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He was looking them in the eye. And telling them that they were self-righteous, he was not talking about them, but to them. Now, we could stop right there and get fall down on our knees and ask for forgiveness and beat our breasts just with that. Because the truth of the matter is, you and I both know it is much sweeter and much more delightful and much more fun to talk about people. And listen, not to tell lies about them, but to tell the truth about them, right? Than it is to talk to them. Now, what I would like to say to you is you all need to resolve to talk less, but that's not going to do any good uh, because our culture is built on talking. Talk, 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 talk. But I will say this. Um, we would We would talk less if when we had a problem with somebody, we talked to the person we had the problem with rather than talking about them. Because you know, you look forward to the opportunity to talk about someone. (laughs) You don't look forward to the opportunity to confront someone, to talk to them, right? That tells us a lot, right? So it's amazing that it took them three years to kill Jesus because he's looking them right in the eye and saying, hey, you are trusting in yourself. And I'm going to tell you a story to help you come to grips with that. Right? Pretty powerful, right? So he's looking them in the eye and telling them that they were self-righteous. He's not talking about them, but to them. So that's worth thinking about. So let's look at the two characters in the parable. The first one is, is the Pharisee. He's a morally upright man. Uh, This is what Jesus meant when he said he trusted in himself that he was righteous. He was a morally upright man. He kept the commandments. Listen, you want this Pharisee in your neighborhood. He, when the little girls come around selling the Girl Scout cookies, he greets them at the door. He's excited to see them. He buys a box of every kind of cookie and gives them away. He doesn't eat them for himself. He gives them away. He is a good guy. He's who you want in your neighborhood. When you are sick and you can't cut your grass, this guy comes and cuts your grass. When you need, when you're you're sick and you can't get out of bed, he brings you a pot of soup. 
listen, he's a good guy. He's the kind of people you, you want to be with. He's a nice guy. And, and as far as we can tell by looking at his life from who and where he operates, he's exactly the kind of person uh, we want to be with, right? Next slide. So he, he, these things that he says relate to the spiritual disciplines before God and, and, and not so much about how you treat other people. But one thing about this guy is he'd be a great church member. You know, he prays, he fasts, and he tithes a lot. Kind of guy you want in your church, you know, kind of guy that uh, is generous. Uh, all of this stuff was a part of his righteousness. He's morally right, upright, and religiously a devout man. And my guess is, even though, even though he is certainly looking around himself, he's, this, these things that he's saying about looking around and thinking that he's not like these other people, he's saying that to himself. He is not outwardly demonstrating that. And so when he says these things about himself, he says, right, um, that I'm not like other men, extortioners. Certainly you don't want to be about getting money from people. You want to be just and fair. You want to be faithful to your wife, right? You want to, you want to practice your faith. You want to practice your spiritual disciplines. All of those things are things that he does. This, this qualifies him in many ways from the outward look at him to be an upstanding church member, right? But it gets even better. Because the way we tend to read this parable is, is that what he's doing here is he's building his own righteousness, saying, I did this, right? That's the way I tend to think about myself. When, when, some, when I, something good happens, I want people to know I did that. I did that. I accomplished that. I did that. He's not like that. You know how I know that? He gives God the credit. I thank you, God. That I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. He's giving God the credit that he's not like this, that he does these, that he's not like some things, some things he avoids, and some things he does because God has said for him to do it, right? He's willing to give God the credit for that. I thank you that I am morally upright and religiously devout. I thank you that you're at work in me. God's at work. In me by doing these things. I, I'm, I'm recognizing that, right? So the problem is not whether the man himself has produced the righteousness he, he has or whether God has produced it. The problem is he trusts it. And that's the, that's the real rub. Um, in verse 9, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now, make sure you see what this is saying. It's not saying that he's trusting in himself to make himself righteous. No, he says explicitly he is thanking God for that. He is not trusting in himself to make himself righteous. He is trusting in himself that he is righteous with the righteousness that God has worked in him. That is what he is trusting. Now, this gets subtle, right? Because here's the thing we have to say. Listen, you don't need to be in it. You shouldn't be an extortioner. You shouldn't be sexually impure. You should be generous. 
All of those things are important. You should pray that God would do those things in you. You should pray that God would make you look more and more like Jesus. But you have to understand, and I have to understand, that our hearts are so bent and the gospel is such a scandal and such an offense that it is a t- just a tiny difference between saying, God, do these things in me, and then us looking at them and saying, because God has done these things in me, I trust them. For my justification. Do you see the difference? So that is what he is ultimately trusting. He would he would say, It's you know, it's not me, but the grace of God in me has worked this righteousness. He's even willing to say that. He's a better person than I am. Because I'm willing to say, I did that. (laughs) But he's saying, no, you know, God did this in me. But the issue here is, is not his behavior. The issue here is not the things that he's done. These things are good, and we should do more of them. The issue is his relationship to it. And his relationship is revealed in the fact that he is trusting that stuff, right? Next slide. So that his mistake was that he trusted in this God produced righteousness for justification. And that's really the issue in this parable because sometimes we read this parable and we think, you know what, what Jesus wants us to do here is he wants us to be humbler because he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I am here to tell you today that if your goal is to get humbler, fine, you should be humbler. I wish we were all humbler. But a humble humility does not do you any good when it comes time to stand before you judge. The only thing that justifies you is not humility. The only thing that justifies you is the work of Christ, period, that he has done, not in you, but for you. And that's the gospel. And that is one of the things that we miss so often. And why am I so passionate about this? Well, I am passionate about it because we, we live, all of us, Those of you Pharisees and tax collectors that are in here today live in danger all the time of subtly trusting something that's good, something that's great, and something that even has as its origin the work of God itself rather than simply what Christ has done for us, right? So when it came to justification, that's the issue as verse 14 shows us, right? Who went down justified. This man was trusting in the wrong thing. He was looking at the wrong basis for his righteousness before God. He was looking at the wrong ground for his righteousness before God. He was looking at the wrong person and the wrong righteousness. He was looking to his own righteousness, and it was his, not because he created it, because he acted it. It was in his will, and it was in his heart, And it was in his actions. It was his, and it was even put there by God, he believed. And that's what he was trusting in. So listen, you know, when the issue comes down for us, there there is nothing wrong with being encouraged by the fact that, you know what, I'm not like I used to be. That is, you know, if if you can do that, (laughs) praise God. That is a great thing. But that's not your trust. That is not your trust, right? 
And that is, uh, that, that's the real rub here is that we are not justified by the righteousness that Christ works in us, but by the righteousness that Christ is for us. That's the deal. And in fact, that is what Martin Luther went to bat for. That's what he nailed that stuff on the church door. That's what it was about. It wasn't just that, that there was some kind of false teaching that, you know, you can only earn your way into heaven. No, there was plenty of grace there that, that God, God could, could work and, and, and that he was for you and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the thing that we trusted was that God infused this righteousness in us and then we begin to do it. No, no, no. The gospel is this, that when you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is simple. Your justification, if you want to walk out of church today, justify. If you want to walk out of church today, justify. The, the way you do that is you recognize that that justification hangs on something else completely one completely, 100%, completely, 100% outside yourself. It is what Jesus has done for you. It's not what he's doing in you. It's not what he's doing through you. But what he has done for you, his atoning work, his righteous life, those are the things that are our trust not even the good things that he is doing in me, right? So, so we're, we're, as we look at the, the, the Pharisee, we have to be careful, right, as we, as we think about that because our tendency, especially as religious people, is to fall back upon that. Um, let's look at the tax collector. What's the tax collector do? Well, first of all, what is he looking at? Well, he doesn't even look at himself, and he doesn't look at the other people around him, right? Uh, he looked away from himself to God. He trusted in nothing in himself. He, his only trust and his only hope was that God would be merciful to him, right? By definition, you, you can't, uh, uh, if, if you're crying out for mercy, you don't say, I deserve mercy. I've earned mercy. It's simply, that's all I can cry out for is that God would be for me. So he trusted in God and Jesus said, God declared him righteous. That's what justified means. So don't get confused. Don't, don't fall into the trap that as we try to justify ourselves, that we might even take something that is good that God is doing in us and make that our trust. Our trust can only be uh, the work of Christ for us. So, so we, we need to ask the question in worship, what and who are you looking at, right? Uh, if, if we're only spending our times looking at ourselves or looking at other people, then what, what might be true of us is we're sliding in to the tr- false trust, uh, the unsaving trust, the trust that leaves us unjustified uh, in ourselves. But then the question is, then, well, how can I diagnose this um, in my own soul, right? Well, one of the ways you can diagnose this problem that you are missing uh, the work, uh, the, what Jesus has done for you, you know you're in trouble when you look at others and you say, 
well, at least I'm not like that guy. Right? God must love me better because I'm not like that. Or somehow or other, I'm a little bit better because I don't do that or I don't think that or I don't do this. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm subtly saying, well, uh, I'm not like that. And in fact, you know, the great news is, and I can even put a little religious gloss on this is, I, I'm not like that. Thanks be to God. Right? And we might even say in some ways that our justification before God is, except for the grace of God, there go I. I love that one. Right? <laughs> um, I wonder how many times people have said that about you. Because <laughs> here's a rule of human behavior, right? If, if you've said it about somebody, they said it about you. <laughs> okay? Let's, let's just be clear about that, you know, because uh, we're talkers when it comes to that. So, so this is one of the ways that we can begin to, to think about that instead of comparing ourselves or looking at other people or, or thinking that way about, about this, what we do is we simply say, we simply trust, no matter what may, else may be true about me, may, no matter what else may be true about you, my only hope of justification, my only hope of being justified is that Jesus did this for me, right? Next slide. So one of the ways that you can know that you're not trusting Christ is if you're a bigot. Now, I know that's a loaded word. Yikes, everybody just got uncomfortable because I said that word. But here's the thing of the way bigotry works, right? Um, We tend to think, when we hear the word bigot, we tend to think it only means racial bigotry. And that's certainly something that our culture makes a lot out of, certainly racial bigotry. But we we can make bigotry out of anything. I, I make bigotry out of, uh, and I, this, is, this is how lame I am, about where I buy my groceries. Because I have a grocery store that I like. I go there twice a week, and I like it. Occasionally, I have to go to another grocery store that will remain unnamed. And when I go in there, I look around, I think, you know, I am better than these other people. Look at the kind of people that shop in this store. Right? Or or if I'm in a little bit better frame of mind, maybe what I'll do is I'll look around and say, you know, I like this store better because the people work who work here seem to be a higher class of people than the people who work at this other store. <laughs> Which is even better. The people who serve me here are you know, my kind of servants as opposed to the other kind, right? So, so what happens to us is when we, when we are wondering about this, this work that, that might happen to us, because one of the things I might have created in you today is the, the sense that, well, how can I have certainty? How can I have assurance that I am justified if I can't bank on something that has happened in me or something that God is doing in me or through me to hook, to hook my hope and my faith in? So that I can point and say, well, I'm not doing that anymore, or I'm doing this now, or, or these things have changed about me, right? So, so that's, so what, what happens to us is when we fall to that trap, 
The only way, the only measure that we have about how we're doing with that is other people. And because it's, it's about other people, it leads to bigotry. And bigotry involves creating a stereotype about a disfavored group and the disfavored group, right? Other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Because we all know what tax collectors are like, right? We all know what this group of people is like. You're, you know, we all know what this group of people is like. And because you're in that group, then by definition, you're a problem, right? That's bigotry. It happens, it happens all the time. And sometimes what's even true about this is, I mean, when he looks at the, at the tax collector, part of the reason why he says, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector is, a lot of tax collectors were bad. So the assumption is, okay, if you're, if you're one, then you must, you must by definition be bad, right? So it's, it's, it involves creating a stereotype about a disfavored group and then applying that stereotype to an individual you've never met. A friend of mine came up to me uh, after worship, uh, after the nine o'clock service, and said, "You know, he does this in his car driving about people who cut him off. Those kind of people always drive like that, right? That's that's bigotry. So the root of this comes from our need and our drive to have a sense." that I am secure in the love of God and in the righteousness and in the justification that Jesus Christ has secured for me. So if you're looking around and you're judging other people and that comforts you, then my assumption about you is that somehow or other the atoning work of Jesus Christ is not your only trust, your only trust, your only trust trust. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, Let's use this prayer of confession that's in the bulletin um, to confess our sins together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you in need of your grace. We have sinned against you and our neighbor. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. 
Lord, have mercy. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.